When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, you know how I wasn't very approving or keen on your not wearing a bra idea a couple of weeks ago, as inspired by Gillian Anderson, who's mm. not wearing one again? Well, I accidentally didn't wear a bra this morning. <laughs> I went oh to the God, swimming Trish. pool. Not during trampolining. Not no, during your trampolining God, almost lesson. as bad. Well, I tell you what, I went to the swimming pool and I always put my swimmy on and then my jeans and T-shirt over and cycle down there. And I'd forgotten to pack my bra. So I had to cycle back... <laughs> All a bit, you know, a bit loose, bit, bit sort of, you know, go with the flow. And 1970s. I, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't keen. I really wasn't keen. I was worried because I had like a very it. loose kind of T-shirt, V-neck T-shirt on, and I kept worrying that it was all going to hang out. I didn't like it. I'm, st- I'm still not, not approving. I mean, I don't want to make any judgment on your voluptuous <laughs> shape, Trish, but it's not a lot hanging out there, would there be? Do you know it's what? True. I always forget my under my pants when I go <gasps> Oh, so you have to come home. Go, go in my, yes, I know, commando. Is, uh, go home Joey commando. Mm. Yeah, I'm never cycling, though. That would be terrible. Oh, no, I yeah, think we should stop talking don't, about don't this don't now. Don't go there. It was yep. <laughs> <It was> wrong. <laughs> we get cancelled. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Listeners, thank you for tuning in once again to our little podcast. We're going to be kicking off today's show by having some fun and laughs with a holiday themed culture club featuring our favourite family films and summer reading recommendations. When you say little Trish, you mean we're little, not that we're a little podcast, don't you? Because <laughs> we are quite short yes. and challenged. But I beg to differ on the size of the podcast because we now have more than 1.5 million downloads mm. in just over a year. So we are, I think, tackling some of the biggest issues facing midlife women right now, none more so than the menopause, and how badly served and supported most women are and have been, well, for kind of ever, really. Mm. Today's guest is a woman who has the power to change things from the top down. Our special guest is Carolyn Harris, MP. She's going to be filling us in on the work of the all-party parliamentary group on menopause in the House of Commons, which is introducing a bill this autumn to scrap prescription charges for HRT, as well as requiring companies to include workplace policies for menopause, which is good news, isn't it? It is. And Carolyn's also going to be telling us about how a personal tragedy reshaped her life and led her into the corridors of power. And it's, it's really a remarkable and moving story. So do stay tuned in for that. Yeah, I think you might need some tissues as well, because it's quite a sad story, but really, really inspiring. She is quite a woman. There is some laughter, too. We've got a romantic nostalgia noodle. And in How to Win at Midlife, we're going to be spoiling you with some more intimate chat that I think our listeners love our intimate chat, don't they, Trish? <laughs> I don't know about this. So it's you, quite intimate. <laughs> I can't say this word, but I'm going to have a go. So oh. you have been discovering a new way to depilate 
Correct. 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 Yes. You don't don't need a French accent with that. No, no, no. Um, Which is a polite way of you saying you're going to be dealing with your furry bits. And we're not talking about uh, Margot, the cat, are we? (laughs) Yes, I've made a breakthrough on that front. I'm going to be telling you about it later. In the furry bits. And Lorraine, we're going to be hearing more tales of your gaseous guts, aren't we? You just like the alliteration there, didn't you? You could have said that in a slightly more... You could have called it my delicate tummy in the manner of a Victorian lady. Mm. Uh, Honestly, we are going to be keeping it clean, though, because I don't want to upset anybody before breakfast, should they be listening to this early in the morning. But first, I wanted to share this fabulous... Facebook post from uh, someone on our private Facebook group, Lisa. She says, I'm going to read it out to you, Trish. Mm-hmm. I'm standing in the loo queue at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre chatting to a lovely lady about the performance and suddenly my eye starts watering. So she doesn't think I'm becoming overly emotional about the show. I say, I've got dry eyes. It's another menopause symptom and I roll my eyes. And she responds, are you on HRT? And I say, yes, week two and tell her all the details. She then tells me about her HRT. Um, I talk about this group and the podcast and how fab it is the loo's become vacant we say lovely to meet you and off we go this is how she finishes five years ago i don't think we would even have been able to have that conversation and certainly not in a loo queue that's brilliant isn't it It's just bringing it into the narrative so people can talk about it normally as if it's just a normal thing that happens we are reaching the parts other podcasts cannot reach aren't we lorraine (laughs) we are indeed Welcome to our special holiday edition of the Postcards from Midlife Culture Club. This is the one where we try to help you keep everyone from grandparents to your teens occupied on rainy staycation days or during these long school holidays. Now, by this point in the summer, you may be needing some restorative old school together screen time as in all of us watching one screen at the same time which is a little bit retro I know nowadays (laughs) I think this is a particularly useful thing to do speaking from personal experience after one of those awful family holiday tiffs you know the ones Trish where no one agrees on what to do yes that's in (laughs) and you need to find something to watch to bring you all together again so we all have those rifts on holiday. And what I like to do, as I'm sure you all do, is take yourself off with a book. Go and hide somewhere with a good book. So I'm going to be looking at some really great summer reads. But Lorraine, what have you got up your sleeve in terms of films? Because you have to keep everyone from age 10 to 19 happy, don't you? How do you manage that? Well, yeah, I do. And it's a little bit tricky, keeping that age gap occupied. So firstly, we have devoured The Croods 2, which was a new release at the cinema. It was absolutely brilliant. We did go and see Black Widow, the Avengers film on Disney. Terrible, very confusing. I mean, I love Scarlett Johansson and Dave Mm. Harbour, but I had literally no idea what was going on. It was so confusing. It was more confusing than this GoPro that I bought on eBay for our holiday. (laughs) And I seem to have, for our family film, recorded everything upside down. Who knew that was even? possible you're a very silly person film skills I am. not your fault. now listen trish i've got something lovely for you yes. for our summer holiday culture club watching because you are a twitcher aren't you little <gasps> birds twitch. little birdies yes. love a birdie yes i've got love island for penguins what for you what? What now you i know you're not a fan of love island no. because i know looking at it makes you hot temperature wise <laughs> oh, um, but you are cringe. gonna love this hmm on Netflix, there is a series, eight 30-minute episodes called Penguin Town. It's right. just so 
lovely. It's kind of the ultimate comfort telly. It's a wildlife documentary where nothing gets its head ripped off by an <laughs> apex predator. Do you remember? This is what happens in the David Attenborough ones. Do you remember oh, those no. baby elephants? Oh, I can't. Don't. I will have to have therapy after those it's baby elephants. It's too upsetting. It's too upsetting. Anyway, Penguin Town is waddle watching, and that is what they call a group of penguins on land, mm. Trish. That's like you and me on one of our walks, mm-hmm. our walks and talks. So every summer, endangered African penguins in a small African beach town, they come back to make their nests, find love, and have babies. They come into the town, up the beach, into the car park. <laughs> it's really funny and they mingle with the sun seekers they're nibbling their flip-flops they're lying on their beach towels the soundtrack is brilliant and the opening scene is the penguins walking up the beach to the soundtrack from reservoir dogs it's so funny (laughs) and you know what the penguins are called trish they're called jackass penguins so they're common but that's their real name that's their real name that's their breed oh my goodness have been coming back for 12 years. And oh. the comedian Patton Oswalt, who's Remy in Ratatouille, you yes. remember, or not, narrates it. And I was, honestly, I was laughing out loud oh. as I watched it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Now I'm going to do a massive penguin name drop now. You can't Go even on. believe I could do a penguin name oh, drop. Oh, you can name drop about anything, Lorraine. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm one of the few humans on Earth that stood face-to-face with a, an emperor penguin. They were really? Yeah, I've been to Antarctica. Yes. We landed on a piece of land where humans had never been, and the emperor penguin came oh. to say hello. I liked to feel Did it was it? a person. How, was it as tall as you? How tall was it? Practical. Well, it's up to my middle bits, up to my oh. tummy button. I could pat it on the head like a small And child. it was friendly, a friendly emperor penguin. That's well, they'd nice. never seen humans. They didn't know how awful mm. we were. They just assumed we were nice. <laughs> the other thing I want to mention is Jungle Cruise with The Rock. You know how I feel about him. Oh. And Emily Blunt. <laughs> Anything with The Rock. You... I'm going to name drop him Magnet. as well because he once sent me a birthday message for my 50th. Oh. Did what somebody pay that? him to do that though, didn't they? No, darling, I didn't. <laughs> a kind man it's very funny it's like a modern raiders of the lost ark mm. a bit funnier than that actually um Dwayne and emily Brunt are brilliant they're a very good comedy duo so it's a really nice disney watch mm. now if those two don't work we've got some old-fashioned fail safes to drop back on outer mm-hmm. banks which is the teen mystery on netflix is back for series two everybody loves that oh i've never heard of it oh, i'm gonna have to check it out oh it's good put it yeah. down eddie the eagle the oh, film yes. because he is to ski jumping, Trish, what we are to podcasting. Yes. <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Have you seen that with Sigourney you know Weaver? It's really have. funny. I never have. Yeah. Very funny. And this one is a wrestling movie that I have now watched three times because I love it. It's called right. Peanut Butter Falcon. I'm going to leave it with you to Google. Well, so- I, I have seen that one. I wasn't a fan. Isn't that interesting? What? I'm not going to have to give it another go, maybe. I don't know. It, oh. There was something about it that wasn't didn't work for me. But I, yeah, okay, fair enough. But those other ones, we definitely. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. what have you been doing? Well, so, so we have a big row. We watch a film. I have to sit with the family. You just go off then and read a book. Just go off. Do you know what? My, my teens aren't really... I try and get them to watch stuff and then they just sort of float off halfway through the film. And I'm like, yeah. but we're supposed to be watching it together. And they're like, yeah, no. So I don't know whether... I mean, maybe I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. So what I'm going to be doing is taking myself off because you do want to escape from everybody. And I think when you get your nose in a good book, maybe pop up a do not disturb something. <laughs> they're gonna have 
to leave you alone. I like a light, easy read on holiday, or I like to catch up on some classics or plow through a big old saga where there's two or three in the series. So um, it can feel a bit like there's so much drama going on in the books with these families you're reading about that yours feels relatively normal, perhaps, in yeah. comparison. So I'm going to start with a couple of lightish reads. And you know how I was complaining recently that Neil is obsessed with reading books about World War II? Well, I realized, see, I like them too, but obviously not the Bomber Command Desert Rats ones. I like the kind of human stories. (laughs) And so there's a couple. Sarah Winham, she of When God Was a Rabbit, her latest book called Still Life, I think it's like number one in the Sunday Times bestseller. It crosses from Warthorn, Tuscany to the east end of London and everyone's raving about it. So I am going to be reading that. And then my friend Nicole recommended another war-y one called The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, which was actually published in 2015. But I kind of wanted to read it now because it's being made into a film with those lovely Fanning sisters, Ellen Dakota. And it's about these sisters struggling to survive and resist the German occupation of France. Because I don't like to read a book if it's been made into a film. I have to read the book first. Are you like that? Do you care? No, Trish, I don't have those rules for my rules and regulations. But would you read a book? Would you read a book after you'd seen the film? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? I, I, and yes, do you know what? I probably would, you know, I probably would. Yeah. Do you know what I hate is then when they put a picture from the film on the front of the book. That puts me off even more. I just don't like oh, it. Oh, you don't. That's because you like to control your own imagination. Yes, you don't like I anyone else controlling that element yes, of your life. Exactly. <laughs> and then I'm just going to do my family saga, which, if you haven't read it, um, have you read it, in fact, Lorraine? The Cazalet Chronicles by Elizabeth Jane Howard. Have you read those? I'm a bit funny about historical novels. I don't oh, okay. really like, like I feel about musicals. I'm, I'm mm. not against them. I'm just not really okay. into them. But I have so heard I'm, of the Catholic. I'm giving you too much history here, but I will just say that it's it's brilliant. It's this family saga that starts kind of after World War One. There's five books in the series. And it was written in 1990. And this you will like because I've just discovered they made it into a TV drama and it completely, I missed it in 2001. And you can find it on BritBox. And it got, it's got our favourite British actress, Leslie Manville. Oh, I love Leslie Manville. Leslie Manville. Yeah. It's got, and yes, yeah, so I'm thinking I'm going to have to sign up to BritBox and watch that this summer. Oh, and then just very together for our cocktail you, night. Yes, exactly. And then something more up to date, but still family based, is Irish writer John Boyne's The Echo Chamber, which is this darkly comic book about social media, woke politics, and cancel culture featuring the Cleverly <laughs> family. And it's, it's very funny. The mum's called Beverly Cleverly, and she's a romantic novelist. <laughs> And, and it all goes a bit wrong anyway when they post something on social media. So I think that could be a bit more up to date and maybe a bit more up your street, do you think? Yes, I've got that on the list for me. Thank you very much for those, Trish. Mm. I should be taking myself Good. off when and I the will be children start fighting. waddling with the penguins. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week, we're excited to welcome onto the show one of politics' most outspoken menopause warriors, the sometimes purple-haired Carolyn Harris. Carolyn is Labour MP for Swansea East and Deputy Leader of Welsh Labour. And on 28th of June this year, she was elected chair of the newly formed all-party parliamentary group on menopause in the House of Commons. This, listeners, is the first step towards securing what has been termed the menopause revolution, which, as you'll know by now, Lorraine and I are definitely on the front line of. 60-year-old Carolyn is married to David and mum to sons Stuart, Thomas and Martin, who died in a road accident age eight in 1989. It was this tragedy that spurred the former dinner lady and barmaid, who never thought she was bright enough to go to university, on a journey that would take her to the corridors of power in the House of Commons, where she introduced a bill that was passed into law to end charges for children's funerals. A remarkable legacy for Martin, and now Carolyn is set on helping millions of women with a bill to end prescription charges for HRT in England, bringing it in line with Wales and Scotland. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. I'm absolutely delighted and very excited to be here. Well, we have been talking about menopause on this podcast since we started about 18 months ago now and trying to break Mm. the taboo around it and empowering women with the facts and the help that's available. So we were delighted when you were appointed chair of the all-party parliamentary group on menopause. So tell us how that came about and what you're hoping to achieve in what you're calling the menopause revolution. Oh, gosh, it's something that I I felt was coming for a long time. And I'm hoping that we're at the point now where we're going to become world leaders in this. So I started talking about the menopause about six years ago when I first entered the Westminster. These debates always seem to happen around international menopause day so Mm. we talk about them and everybody was really supportive all parties all genders were coming up with some really heart-wrenching stories about their own experience or experience of loved ones and it was I, I just felt it was a subject which the house was ready to talk about but we didn't know what what we could do and how we could frame it Mm-hmm. And then for about two years, I've been toying with the idea of setting up an all-party parliamentary group because there's thousands of groups, thousands mm-hmm. of different all-party parliamentary groups, and they look at anything from paper clips to China, literally. <laughs> they Riveting. look at everything. Yeah. A lot of them will be talking shops. A lot of them will be uh, people coming together because they have an interest in a subject and just talking about it. I've always felt that all-party parliamentary groups were the vehicle where we could affect change. And I done that with, I did one, I'm doing one on gambling and we've managed to get gambling reform right up there on the agenda. I'm currently doing one on beauty aesthetics and wellbeing and we did a, a big report on injectables the other weekend. That message is getting out there and it's through the all-party parliamentary group. It's an alternative route to the, the floor of Westminster, if you like. And I wanted to start this group and for a long time I've been talking about we should have mandatory policies in the workplace and we should have mandatory doctors training and we should have mandatory uh, education and we should have you know everything mandatory and when you start talking about statutory and mandatory then 
any government panics, any workplace panics, because they think, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? It was something I wanted to do and was trying to find the narrative to build around it, which was doable, if you like. I wanted to be able to achieve something because I don't get into anything unless I know I can achieve something at the end of it. So once every parliamentary session is something called private members bills, where there's literally 650 members of parliament, it's literally a raffle. So there's a piece of paper with numbers on and you put your name next to a number and then they do a draw and 20 numbers are called out. There are 12 sitting Fridays, which means that the first 12 bills are going to be the first on the agenda on that day. And you get to talk until what you've achieved happens. And what we need to happen is that it gets passed on that day and then Mm -hmm. it gets passed to the committee stage where it gets fine-tuned and then it goes to the House of Lords and they add their bit and then it comes back and then it gets royal assent, which means it then becomes law and on the statute box. Mm -hmm. So I got this private member's bill completely out of the blue And lo and behold, I got number three, which meant that I definitely can have my day in the chamber. But more importantly, I can get legislation through. So we started to think about what legislation I could get through, which would be helpful to the menopause. And everything we thought about involved multiple government departments. And the more government departments, the more complicated. Mm -hmm. We looked at menopause policies in the workplace. I looked at doctor's training. I looked at all the things that are really bad about the way the menopause is regarded now. All the things are bad anyway. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, the lack of training for doctors, the fact that a lot of workplaces don't acknowledge menopause as being something they can help women Mm. with, and therefore they should be introducing stuff to keep their workplace uh, and the women in work around relationships. And now the lack of libido is, you know, why I think the testosterone should be on the NHS, Mm. I think, you know. The more government departments and the more complicated, the less likely I was going to get this through. So we were just chatting one particular day and I was talking to a colleague. And I think what's really important here is to bear in mind I'm Welsh. So we were having a conversation and she said she was going to pick up her prescription for HRT and it was going to cost her 40 quid. Mm -hmm. So as a Welsh person who doesn't pay for prescriptions, I was like, why is it costing you 40 quid? And she said, because we pay for prescriptions and one of the packages has got two different hormones in. So we pay twice for it. And all of a sudden, it was a little bit like putting a light on. It was a a eureka moment. Mm -hmm. I thought, that's the hook. Get legislation through to make HRT free for women in England. So you get parity with women in Scotland and Wales. Then we do the APPG and we talk about everything else. Mm -hmm. The government will be on side We'll make so much noise that everybody else will be saying, hang on, I better get involved in this. What do I need to do to change this? So we set up the APPG, started the revolution, and lo and behold, we got people coming from everywhere saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can we do? What can we do? And I found that, you know, that it was a it was a bubble that was ready to burst. We just needed something that we could get through Parliament, which would be not controversial and would be relatively easy to do 
have you heard stories of women who can't afford HRT, yeah. whose lives have been dramatic? Because, I mean, we, we've heard stories of women who've been suicidal because they're not yeah. getting correct. Their doctors won't prescribe them HRT. So is there anything you can tell us about specifically that really sticks in your mind? Just before I denounced what I was going to do about the APPG, I tabled a Westminster Hall debate and the parliamentary outreach services got really excited about this and they set up a web page and canvassed the opinion of women as to what they'd like seen discussed in this Westminster Hall debate and in a matter of about two or three days they had nearly a thousand responses yeah. which for a parliamentary outreach service is pretty phenomenal so we looked at what were the issues that were coming through the usual ones were coming through doctor wouldn't prescribe HRT couldn't afford HRT HRT was right up there as one of the main things that women wanted to talk about and wanted something done about. So we were able to then frame my speech around what I intended to do on the PMB. The minister responded is the minister who was responsible for delivering my PMB. She's on the same page as me. She entirely gets it. And it said to me, you just make as much noise as you can. Mm -hmm. And I will have you back on this and we will do what we can to make sure this all happens. So, yeah, I mean, HRT has been a big, big issue for women. Now, you've talked to seeing your GP about suffering depression around the age of 50. Do you now think that that could have been part of your perimenopause? Were you aware of perimenopause? No, this is Mm. it. I mean, I don't think I'm a stupid woman. And yet nobody ever talked to me about menopause. My mother would no sooner talk to me about the menopause than she would fly to the moon. I can remember Mm. conversations where my mother and her sister were talking in hushed tones about the fact that my auntie was going through the... In hushed voices. And they had this conversation (laughs) in secret to protect my my sensitive ears. I was 35. Oh, gosh. I'd had children. I'd lost a child by that Mm -hmm. point, you know? I wasn't, it wasn't, it was almost as if you can't talk about that. Oh, you can't talk about it in front of the children. I was 35, Mm -hmm. you know? So I don't ever remember my mother having a conversation about periods with me. I learned about periods from girls in school. So the menopause was something she was never going to. So when I became ill, in uh, 2010 and it was gynecological it was it was non-stop bleeding for about six months you know it was horrendous mm. and ended up six months later after collapsing on the floor twice being taken into hospital rushed into hospital with a hemoglobin of five and being told I was literally the walking dead oh, had fibroids removed and came out of hospital still not connecting this mm. to menopause still thinking this is just a gynecological thing. And absolutely, my mental health was shot. But I was only telling my GP those symptoms. Mm. I wasn't saying that I had no libido. I wasn't saying that I had to go and lay under the bed in the attic to get some fresh air and to cool down. I wasn't saying that every bone in my bloody body was aching. And I just, you know, I was at the end of my tether and I didn't know where to turn. So I convinced myself that I was having a nervous breakdown and I self-diagnosed and told my my doctor, who was absolutely brilliant, and said, you know, I'm having a nervous breakdown. You've got to help me. So sort of six, seven months later, the um, antidepressants kicked in. But I've been on antidepressants for 11 years Mm. because I'm terrified that if I stop taking the antidepressants, I go back to being that woman in a pink coat. Now, I've gone on HRT at 60. I've been thinking... I've got the T-shirt, the hat. I'm through the menopause. I now realise that even now, 
Yeah. I'm sitting here of an evening with the fan on because I can't stand the heat. My bones are still aching. I can't remember my kids' names. I very often call my youngest son by my cat's name and my cat by my other son's name. I'm having a conversation with someone and I know I'm saying to them, pass me the phone, but can I think what that's called? Yeah. Pass me the um, the Jordan. That's the testosterone. Yeah. 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 And has it helped you, the HRT? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I've only been taking it for a short time. Mm. And in the beginning, I thought maybe it was psychological because I felt immediately better. Mm. You know, I'm taking it now. And I know that's impossible to feel immediately better. Well, but it, no, I don't think it is actually, not from the experts we've talked to. It can oh, be 24 really? hours. I mean, I'm, I'm on that way to being life changing. Definitely. I mean, yeah. in terms of just the normal everyday things, I've got a really busy job. I do a lot of traveling with my job. When I come home, all I want to do is sit in the chair and chill. I thought about putting the dust around sometimes. It's like, oh, I can't do that. Mm. Making arrangements to socially go out with friends was something I wouldn't even consider. I'd avoid going out because it meant moving and dressing and putting makeup mm. on and an effort and stuff I just couldn't it's, be asked to do. These symptoms are so debilitating and we hear yeah. about them, you know, from women age 40 onwards. Is there anything in your bill that will prompt GPs to listen? Because that seems to be the main barrier here. Yes, it's mentioned in the bill. But what I didn't want to do was to scare the government and say, you have to do this, because really the medical schools can do this. They don't need the government to tell them to do it. So the plan is that we are going to get in medical schools, and I want them to listen to the stories of women who've gone to GPs. We will change it, but we'll do it through a process of exposing the reality rather than making a government legislate, because that will take years, and we haven't got years. Mm -hmm. We need this done ASAP. So that's how we'll achieve it. You mentioned before that everybody wants to jump on this, not mm. I don't want to call it a bandwagon, but and that you've got huge yeah. support. That is so amazing to hear. So yeah. a lot of men in Westminster, they're getting behind it. Do you find now you talk very openly to men about it? Your yeah. husband, your sons? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I even say the word vagina now quite freely. Mm-hmm. And I've even been Yay. known to say vaginal dryness yes. to a room for the men. <laughs> Good. And... In the beginning, they were all like, <gasps> now they're like, yeah, okay, well, we know, we know what that is now because Carolyn has told us all about this. So <laughs> I, I just, you know, I've gone from, you know, everybody being afraid to use the word to, you know, and saying things like, if, you, if your wife doesn't really fancy sex with you, it's not because she doesn't love you anymore, sunshine. It's mm-hmm. because she's on the change and her libidos go down. So, you know, I've become... I have actually managed to get these words into every conversation I've had over the last two months, every conversation. I've done TV interviews about other things and I've managed to get those words in because I just feel it's liberating. If we talk about this and they're not words that we're terrified to use then people will start to understand the severity of the problem. Well, vaginal atrophy affects 80% of women in perimenopause, so it's not a small thing. The Scottish Labour MP, Martin Whitfield, has been very vocal about it, but there was another MP, wasn't there, who talked about his mum being taken to an asylum aged 50 due to symptoms. Yeah, well, that was one of the first menopause debates that we ever did in Westminster, and we'd all given out speeches, and then Nigel Adams, and every time I see Nigel, I still want to give him a hug, and I still Mm. say to him, Nigel, I'll never That's ever really forget that. Sad. And he just talked openly about the fact his mother was in her 50s and he has a vivid memory of her being taken away to what would have 
all intents and purposes, been a, an asylum, was a psychiatric mm. unit, only to discover later on that she was menopausal. I'm not sure what she was diagnosed with, but she was she was menopausal. Isn't that true of so many things today? Mm, yeah. How much money has been spent on the NHS treating women for individual things, which a GP may think they have? I think we all tend to point to one particular thing and mm. say, oh, look, my knees are really bad. But we don't tell them about the forgetting our kids' names and everything else. And if they treated that, the menopause, then a lot of these other tests and things that they've been treated for, they would be irrelevant because the answer is in HRT for women of, of not even of a certain age, but for women who may be experiencing any menopausal symptoms, whether it's because they've had an operation which brings it on, they're on medication that brings it on, they may just naturally go into an early menopause. GPs, they need to think beyond the training and think about making links with mm-hmm. other kinds of symptoms, which may well all add up to the menopause. Yeah. Alison, you are clearly a woman who gets things done and you've, you've got, a, you seem so far to have a very good track record in your career mm-hmm. as an MP. You've got bills passed on, fixed odds betting and ending funeral charges for children, which, I mean, we've seen your speech in Parliament. It was hugely poignant and emotional moment for you, obviously following the loss of your eight-year-old son, Martin, in a road accident. I mean, where did you summon up the courage just talk in the most public place really yeah I don't know (laughs) how did you do that I don't know if I thought about it I probably wouldn't done it Mm. I I knew what I was doing when I was asking for the children's funeral fund I knew I needed to do it and I tried not to cry but it's you know if I talk about Martin in any way now I mean I want to blurt out crying because Mm. I still feel the pain acutely but in terms of when I actually when he came through and I stood up and thanked Theresa May, I mm. I mean, I've seen the speech very recently yes. and I didn't realise I'd had to stand innovation yeah. in the House of Commons, which is quite something. If I'd thought that I, about doing it, if I'd, let, I'd allowed myself mm. to say, I'm going to say this, I'm going to do that, then I probably would never have done it. But see, I think the difference between me and a lot of politicians is that I was never meant to be a politician. I was a barmaid and a dinner lady. If I'd not lost Martin, I probably wouldn't be here now. When I went to university at 34 after I'd lost Martin, and I went there because I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what, but I never planned to be an MP. So everything that I do, everything I ask for, all the work I do, and we're feeding kids throughout the summer holidays, for example, mm. you know, I've struggled to pay the gas bill. I've worried about how I was going to be able to afford Christmas. You no, know, I've had all the normal worries that every other woman has I fought the same battle so I I don't I don't even see myself as an MP I keep thinking someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say (laughs) sorry love we made a mistake you shouldn't be here because I'm no different to any other woman just that I was in the right place at the right time and I suppose I'm gobby Mm -hmm. and if I see something I think is really wrong and I have it within my platform because it's not within my power, but it's within my platform to say things which make other people think about it. And I will work with anyone to get something through. I don't just work with Labour politicians. I will work with any politician who supports what I do or agrees with what I agree with and is prepared to put their neck above the parapet and say, this is wrong. We need to solve this. And that's the only way you can do politics. But as a mum, what you went through with Martin, so I think he would have been 40 this year, wouldn't he, Martin? What you went through and turned your life around, and given what you've just told us about the symptoms of what you were going through throughout your life as well, what advice would you have for parents in facing similar situations or big change or big trauma in their life? How, How do you as a woman dig deep and pick up 
and make something positive like that. I have vivid memories of sitting in the bath and thinking, who needed me the most? Did Martin need me or I'd lost? But my grandparents were there, so they were looking after him. Or I thought to Stuart, because I only had Stuart then left, and he was three. And then I, re- I reasoned, well, look, Stuart's only three, and he can't cope with losing his brother and his mother all in a matter of weeks. So obviously I stay in and look after Stuart. And I think then it's about trying to turn neg- negatives into positives. I met a woman not that long ago, about two years ago, who was not a dissimilar age to me. And I met her in a women's refuge and she'd lost her daughter the year after I lost Martin, but she didn't have a support network. And she started taking things to take the edge of it, mm-hmm. alcohol and drugs. And she ended up prostituting herself for the last 30 years in order to fund that. Mm. I was no different to that woman. We both had working class backgrounds. We both had relatively similar education. The difference was there were people around me who were supporting me and helping me to make sure that I didn't allow myself to wallow and to get down there so awfully low that there was no coming back from it and so I'm not strong I am I'm not in any way strong I'm strong for other people if you've got a problem and you you need it solved I'll fight the world for you but when I've got a problem I just go into myself and I just want to lock myself away. So this kind of campaign stuff is my way of putting the face on, if you like. It's a bit like putting your makeup on in the morning. I put the I put the face on, I brush the hair, put on a nice outfit, and I think, right, today I feel absolutely crap. I want to crawl back into my bed and put the blanket over my head. But if I do that, something is not going to get solved, and I've got letters after my name to make that happen. So I'm going to do it. That's why I like to do things which are for other people. It just keeps me going. The trolling from the social media last year was pretty awful. And, Mm. you know, I think that's a really hard thing to overcome as a woman because you were particularly targeted for your appearance. Do you ever think of stopping? No, I wouldn't give in to the buggers. (laughs) We're pleased to hear that, Carolyn. I'm very interested in you were a girl who probably never thought university was an option for you it wasn't no. an open no. what was the moment then obviously you'd lost martin you were in your 30s mm. what happened that suddenly made you think actually i'm going to university i can do this right well i, I when i was in school when i was 15 16 i wanted to be a medical doctor mm-hmm. and i'd gone to a careers lesson in school and i'd said to my careers advisor i want to be a medical doctor Bearing in mind, my father was a bus driver. My mother worked in Mark Suspenses all, all my life. And she said, oh, that's really nice, dear, dear. Mm. But, you know, there's plenty of manufacturing jobs out there. Maybe you want to think oh. about that. So this is where the imposter syndrome comes from, because I think if she didn't think I was capable of doing it, then maybe I'm not capable of doing it. So I just plodded on through life. I went into the civil service till I had Martin. And then I did jobs which fitted in with the family, like being a barmaid and a dinner lady. And then I went to work with with kids in a special school. And our sense of achievement from those kids, if you could actually get them to voluntarily take a sip from a glass, because they were profoundly disabled kids, was phenomenal. And I had a sense of achievement from that. And I found myself in a position where, because it was such a stressful job, the teachers were going off on long-term sick. And at one point, there was only me and another dinner lady running the nursery class. So we were responsible for educating, if you like, these, these four little kids. And I thought, well, hang on now. If I can do this and these parents are happy with what I'm doing, then shouldn't I be 
paid for this because I was running, getting paid as a dinner lady. Mm. So I there was a jobs fair in Swansea and I thought, right, I'm going to go and see what I can do, which will give me a bit of training. And I went in and there were the Department of Ed Continual Education from Swansea Uni were there and they would do an aptitude test. And this is so funny. So they said, do this aptitude test and we'll see if you've got what it takes to come on our pilot scheme to encourage mature people to, to come to university. Pipe dream as far as I was concerned. So I did this test and they came back and said, right, well, you're IQ. You can either be a brain surgeon or, or rock science. Well, not, not a big call for either in Swansea. So, And I still, even now, think, well, I don't know what answers I give. Most women don't think they're intelligent. Most women just believe they are what they are and they, they, they know we do what we do. But when you think about the skills you have to have to be a mother and a wife, you know, we have to be nurses, we have to be accountants, we have to be you know, carers, we have to be all these things, but we don't get credit for any of that. So they said, yeah, you qualify. And I went on a course for about eight months to learn how to be a student. So I was doing study skills to teach me how to be a student and then applied to do a degree thinking I'm never going to get in. And then I had a letter saying I had an unconditional place. Throughout my university days, I still worked in the special school. Because I worked in special needs, somebody thought the special needs that I was working in was working with problem children. So they offered me a job to set up a a training centre for disaffected youth. So I didn't disabuse them of the fact that it was a different kind of special (laughs) need. Took the job and from then got involved in social action projects. And and I'd always been political from a child. You know, I was the anorak who took the numbers outside the polling station when all my mates were in the in the park playing football or whatever. I was there so excited to be around anyone political. So it was just a progression, I think. And and having a sense of knowing that not everyone is born with the ability to look after themselves or something happens in their life which means they can't look after themselves or society is just not geared to look after and give sufficient to some people or Mm -hmm. to always do the right thing. There were MP opens doors that you would never believe. How would you switch off though? Because you're you're dealing with a lot of very emotionally tough stuff a lot of the time, aren't you? And you're always helping other people. Massage. I am addicted to massage. Mr. Harris does that, does he? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh, that would be the day. I love massage. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm having an Indian head massage. Mm-hmm. And I will have hot stones and I will have a full body. So at least once a month, mm-hmm. I will have a treatment of some sort. Because I think that is the only time when I've got my phone, nobody can get out of me, nobody can talk to me, and I can just switch off. Because you're multitasking on a maximum level. Yeah, here. yeah. This is... You're in your 60s, you're really planning every day. There's a lot going on. You're involved in lots of different things, not just the menopause revolution. What tips would you be able to give our listeners for not feeling overwhelmed and sort of practically organising their day? How practically do you work? I can't plan my day because I never know when things are going to change. So whatever my day may may be at seven o'clock in the morning, if something happens in between, all that goes down the pan. But I try to prioritise what is essential. So stuff that has to be done, whatever has to be done, I'd like to prioritise. For example, all week I have been putting off arranging the scattering of my parents' ashes Mm -hmm. until I got to the point this morning when I said, that's got to be done today. Whatever else comes up today, I've got to do that. So my, my, my day, I've gone from thinking about meeting you guys, being excited about that, sorting my parents' ashes, trying to clean. If we were, were downstairs in my living room, all the furniture's in the middle of the room and the hoovers there waiting. Eventually, <laughs> I will do it. Uh, and I will go back and do it now. And 
uh, sorting some other stuff out for work and answering emails. So that's been my day. So I'm not the best example of of what how you should run your day, <laughs> but I, I certainly know that the, the essentials in life, like if you've got a fine for parking, pay it. You know that's really important. You know if you've got a bill to pay, pay it. And and I will do the really important things. And if I've got problems, that's the other thing I have to do. If there's a problem, give it to me in the morning because by the time I've gone to bed tonight, I've solved that problem mm-hmm. or I've in a position that I'm solving it. Don't mm-hmm. give me a problem in the afternoon and not enough hours to work out how I'm going to resolve that because then I go to pieces. Mm-hmm. So to keep me sane, give it everything in the morning. You're on the cusp of the menopause revolution there's an army of us behind you gen x coming younger boomers coming at you what can we do as listeners on a day-to-day basis as part of this menopause revolution i mean spreading the word yes but what what do you want us to do right okay so i know obviously social media and spreading the word is really important on october the 29th is the second reading of the bin it's the first one that's going to be heard that day and i get that chamber until i'm at the point where it's been passed and it goes to committee so in the run-up to that or on the day i want to do some kind of highly visible event where women and men can join us whether it's on the green outside westminster or whether it's in a committee room inside westminster I want to do something that says to people, this is not just a bill for the few. This is a bill for for all the population because it's so important that we do this. Even though, like I've said all along, the free HRT has been the hawk. It's what that's opened. It's opened up that bigger conversation. And there's also, I need 100 MPs in the House on October the 29th in order for that to be heard. Mm -hmm. So that I might be saying to people, look, contact your MP and ask them to be there on the day to make sure I've got 100 people there. If your your MP's interested, get them to join the APPG. When we said we were launching this APPG, I think we had 40 members before we even launched it, which is rare. So mm-hmm. the, more mem- the more politicians and members of that APPG, it shows the strength of the feeling about this. So get your MP to join the APPG. Get your MP to be there on the 29th. Make sure if we have an event that we want MPs to turn up at, that you lobby your MP to turn up. No, I'd like to think about getting some kind of badge done for the Wednesday before my bill, that the Prime Minister and, and Kia and everybody wears a badge that says, I'm a menopause warrior. I'm mm-hmm. desperately trying to get a PMQ so that I can say to the Prime Minister, are you a menopause warrior, Prime Minister? No, everything I'm going to be doing between now and then is going to be about raising awareness and getting support for this revolution. Brilliant. I feel like clapping. <laughs> we are going to share all of this. We're going to be following you and we're going to be relaying all of this to our listeners and on our Facebook group, our community that we've built around this because we are, as Lorraine said, we're right behind you. You're leading the charge. So October 29th, that is a very, very important day. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah, we all will be on high alert. Thank you so much. My for pleasure. I was excited. Oh, meeting God. famous people. Oh, Lorraine County. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the practical chat part of the show, our how to win at midlife section. Now, this week, we've gone down a different route, which um, is the joy of podcasting. I think you can go wherever you want. I found out, Trish, Mm. that you and I might have another organ. How about that? (laughs) 
really just big you and me well. just you and me no not just you and me humans in humans, general humans. um and you have been testing your uh anti-fur strategy yes i'm not going to mention i'll go and <laughs> i'm just going to leave you with that it. her anti-fur strategy would be a whole whole episode in itself mm. I'd, i can tell you anyway yeah so i'm going to be talking about depilation and a new gadget i've been trying that is working wonders for me um first though i'd like an update please on your mission to improve your gut health because we've talked about it gut health quite a lot and anti-inflammatory diet and things but i'd love to know how you're getting on because you've made a few changes haven't you i have and i don't want to bore our listeners with my <laughs> constant talk about my uh insides not being quite right every now and again <laughs> But, and I just want to caveat this with I am not a medical expert, and this is research I have done as a journalist. I am a trained journalist, mm-hmm. so I am a journalistic expert. But I have discovered something which is based on a survey around microbiomes and how they work in the mm-hmm. gut. It's fairly recent. It's an Imperial College piece of work. So it's really, really thorough. And there was a big piece in The Guardian by Rebecca Seal, who is an expert. There's a little bit of blue poo mentioned here. Trish, oh, okay. Um, warning. Advanced warning. So I'm going to put that to one side, but I'm giving you advance warning. Now, what they've discovered and what they think it is really in its infancy. So as I say, I'm not a medical expert, is that the microbiome, which Mm -hmm. is our own very specific bespoke collection of microbiomes in the gut, Mm. is completely individual to us. It weighs two kilograms and it's bigger than your brain. No, no. Listen, it gets better. This is like brilliant Doctor Who type oh. science here. Now, we only know 10%. We're about 10% of how we, what we know about how it works. Okay. So it's basically your immune system. It, it controls mm-hmm. your immune system. It talks to your brain. It talks to every bit of your body. And it holds within it kind of the genetic imprint of your whole life. So we pass these microbiomes on to right. our children okay so, so yours will be so different from mine so when someone says take a probiotic i mean you're just throwing something into the air because your microbiome yes. is what you need yours yeah. so they've all got their own personalities they're like fingerprints it's so different from anyone else's so just a probiotic is, is going to be very different to you and mm. how it will so you've got to find me. the right one yes I know. They they think it's so important that we might end up in a place where we have things because it affects your mental health so strongly, this microbiome, mm-hmm. how it runs. We might have things like nutritional psychotherapy, Ooh, stuff okay. like that. I mean, it has blown mm. my mind. Mm-hmm. And I've been discovering because I get quite a sore tummy all the time um, and I go, bore you with it. I bore you with it. Time, Trish. <laughs> but what I found out, I haven't done the blue poo test, which is where you eat a blue food coloring mm-hmm. muffin, and then it should pass through this blue coloring within 28 hours. If it takes longer, it's not so good. If it's shorter, it means other things. So that's on, on a website that Professor Tim Spector runs. He wrote the diet myth. He's an epidemiologist, mm-hmm. um, and he really the expert on the microbiome um, that's on his zoe app so have a look at that if you wanted to find out a bit more about that but i didn't want to do that and talk about that on the podcast because you know i'm squeamish about that kind of thing anyway what i have discovered in my journey now that i know i've got another organ talking you know it's got its own nervous system oh. and everything the microbiome oh. <laughs> it's oh, extraordinary right. you need to get to know it and look after it i know i'm really mm. excited about Make this extra organ well they think it's an extra organ they're, they're yeah. kind of you know because we're on this tipping point of research into the gut and how it works so I have been thinking, oh, well, I must better take some fermented food then. This will mm-hmm. work. But every probiotic or prebiotic I've ever taken has been a disaster oh. on every level. Some of yeah. them have meant I can't even leave the house, quite frankly. 
But guess what has made a difference? Something fermented? Yes. Yes. Kefir. Oh, yes. Kefir. Go on, explain. It's a yogurt. This has been, I mean, there might not be science. It could be psychological. I really don't understand. But I've been, for about two weeks, I've been Mm -hmm. having kefir yogurt Mm -hmm. every day. And it's made a huge difference. Everything is back to normal. Now, I'm, you know, without boring people and being self-indulgent about my insides um so basically kefir is live grains and you can have them in a yogurt right so it's just, just a yogurt that's had kefir added made to of it. kefir grains or made of, yes. right. so they okay. attach yeah. to the the sugary lactose mm. and then they grow a, um, a kind of live bacteria which mm-hmm. you have in your gut um or you can have kefir water because I don't mm-hmm. really like the taste of yogurt but I don't mm. mind this yogurt and you can do that yourself I've actually just sent off for a kefir grains package oh, you grow them and then you have flavored water so you're putting this oh, these yes. little bacteria into your gut yourself i'm going to take pictures of that put it on my instagram for you do you know what else you can do with kefir water trish this has uh, cheered me up uh, greatly <laughs> just you're on a roll i think you just better tell I'm us on a roll yeah you can make a gin cocktail oh <laughs> <with> kefir water <laughs> no that's that's, that's nonsense. a bit yin and yang yeah, yeah i think gin's not very good for the old balancing uh, micro- yeah, bio. yeah no well, <laughs> but you know good. sourdough things like that so yes. well, prebiotics which is sort of um things you eat that cause the bacteria to grow so would be fiber so including fiber in your diet really upping the fiber yeah. in your diet is the main thing but again if you're quite sensitive if your microbiome isn't your extra organ yeah. is not liking fiber it's a new thing it might not help you it might cause you discomfort so you have to find out what works for you but it's so fascinating I really do think anyone who is thinking about changing the way they should read this piece that was in the Guardian it's on July the 11th it's written by Rebecca Seal it's absolutely fascinating Rebecca Seal wrote the happy gut recipe yes kefir has changed my life I'm glad to hear that you're even perkier I'm very well so I'm going to talk about depilation as we've said so I think probably by the time you get to this age you have tried every hair removal treatment out there you know shaving grows back too quickly and I I can't stand the bristles and creams I find them a faff I don't like the smell of them waxing I get into a bit of a mess when I try and do that at home and I I just I can't be bothered going to the salon so I've ended up I've had an epilator you know one of those machines that basically you sort of whiz it along your legs and stuff and it pulls out the hair it's like like tweezers so it's painful I've been doing that for the last 10 or 15 years but I've decided it's finally time to do something a bit more drastic and I've been using the Philips Lumia Prestige IPL device can you show I, me it I can show you look I've got it here let me just just get it out of its little bag let's have a um, look at Trisha's what depilator do you, think? It, do you know what it looks like it looks like the thing when you're doing your 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 oh self it's, it's like to the supermarket and you get the gun you do your own yeah. barcoding and then you don't have to yeah yes. it looks like that doesn't it it's a big a big zapper it's like thing. a giant hairdryer <laughs> i think i'm holding it very close to the screen that's why it looks oh, okay all right it's not perspective <laughs> right got it but anyway it is an investment costs around 350 pounds but the idea is that oh, it's so completely... how hairy are you well i don't know it's, especially with the old testosterone cream that uh, where you put that on but i just thought <laughs> i'm gonna give it a go and it's it's intense pulsed lights um and basically what happens is you use this device and you sort of zap up and down your legs and wherever else and um it the light is absorbed by the hair root and it stimulates the follicle to go into a resting phase so it makes the hair shed before it's even grown 
which is great. So before it sort of popped through, it it sheds. Um, And to begin with, you have to do it four times every two weeks. So every other week, you're kind of doing an all over zap because your hair grows in different phases and you need to kind of zap everything at the right time. And then after that, you do it like maybe once every four weeks. And then honestly, I found after the second or third time, really massively massively reduced it was really nice it was really I was really impressed essentially what you're aiming for is you probably only have to do it about once every three months which I mean you know that is just brilliant because I cannot put it on the skin yes yes so you have to press it onto the skin and you press a button and it zaps the light sort of pulp comes out and you you have to try not to look at the light because obviously it's not very good but it's basically what they they were doing in salons for a long time and you can do it at home with this device so um yeah does neil do it to you oh god no not but yeah once you get the hang of it it honestly it's no more faff than doing your usual hair removal process and you're kind of free from stubble raising eggs ingrowing hairs all those annoying things what about your face can you do it on your face you can do your lip you can do your chin the only moustache is gone yeah tash look you can see it's gone no tash left lovely but actually what it doesn't it doesn't work on very light blonde gray red or white hairs because these colors don't absorb enough light and it's about the contrast of the hair against your skin so it is worth kind of going onto the website reading about it first just to check if it is something that will work for you but obviously I've got very pale skin as we know and not I haven't got particularly dark hair and it it, you know that there's a setting on this that definitely works for me so I'm very pleased with that no more hairy bits well done you Now we've come to the part of the show, which could be a show in itself. Our nostalgia noodle. Are you ready to step into the TARDIS, Lorraine, and go back in time? Yes, I've taken myself back to a horrible place. I don't know why I've done this, but it cropped up on the telly, a reference to it. And I was just remembering, because I'm in Cornwall while we're recording Mm. this, and and obviously I grew up here, so I was just remembering foggy days, spooky. I'm going to take us back to 1980s horror movies, because apparently the horror genre was massive in the 80s. They made more horror films than ever before, because we could watch them at home because the video player was finally in the VCR. Mm -hmm. Yes, the VCR and special effects were at there kind of peak from those awful black and white ones which were more funny and horrible do you remember the hand i do not remember the hand <laughs> but you're going to tell me all about it's the hand well waving your hand around came into, i'm waving my hand around it came into my mind as we were watching a film in the old fog one afternoon the cornish fog um it's an oliver stone film starring michael Caine. horror film and uh, michael, michael Caine. Caine. I know exactly. It's not terrifying. Because he wanted a new garage. So he needed some money to buy a new garage. He was quite fit. Only Oliver Stone's second ever film. And it put me off all horror movies ever because I had memories of my dad. Mm. While we were watching it, he was behind the sofa wearing this giant furry glove. Basically, this... The main Michael Caine's hand gets cut off in a car accident and then he has a life of his own driven by his evil subconscious. And as we were watching it, my dad put his hand over the top behind me. And that's it. I haven't been able to watch a horror film. I mean, I screamed the house down. (laughs) It's really awful. It's so dark. I watched the trailer on YouTube. I'm just wondering whether, you know, Gen X was so messed up by all these terrible things. Could be. Could be. in the late 70s and the early 80s because there was gremlins the shining alien the thing poltergeist 
arguably it, the scariest of horror films ever yes. or, that we were watching as as early teens yes and the when exorcist that, that one nicer. and the exorcist well, I, I have dead I as think, well yeah. <laughs> i think it's quite it's quite old isn't it that you've been doing, talking about your lovely family films and then suddenly you're talking about watching yes. this gore fest what that says about me yeah i don't know well i'm going to take things a lot lighter about love do you remember those little love is cartoons that were really big in the yes. 70s they were sort of in the newspaper and it was like a little little naked man and a little naked woman and then it would just have a little caption under the bottom and it was just hugely popular and I was thinking about it because I was thinking about summer holidays and what we did when we were young and we had my sister and I we had a friend up the road called Babs who we were a bit obsessed with because she was a year older than us my and she called Babs Babs your sister Babs everywhere we both had a babs then uh, babs sort of befriended us took us under her wing we formed the love is club together i have no i can't remember why all i remember is that i had to wash her hair for her one day <laughs> as part I, of my challenge really, trish you'd need to go back into therapy to explore all of this. <laughs> that babs made babs me wash hair as part I think, of your love is challenge what yes exactly what it's got to do with love is I don't know but anyway I thought I'd have a little look at some love is and it was started by this New Zealand lady called Kim Grove when she was sending notes to her fiance in in LA called Roberto Casali in the late 60s and they made millions they then published it got an illustrator to do it made millions and what I quite like about it I mean none of it's profound obviously but they kind of stood the test of time shall I shall I throw a few at you some love is is love is someone to scratch the itch you can't reach you like that Mm. (laughs) love is someone to share your dream with and then love is counting your blessings yes we're counting our blessings aren't we there was one which i think might have come from the 80s because it was and i don't like this love is reassuring her you can't see any cellulite i mean that's not God right, is it? Sake. That's yeah. I think that no. was the eighties getting hold patriarchy. Of it. Got wrong. to love is yeah, in the eighties. Yeah, that's all, all wrong. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. And we're going to be taking a little break from you all now, just for two weeks for some R&R. So that's just two weeks and we will be back. I'll be on my luxury cruise with Ben Affleck and Lorraine will no doubt be swimming her way across some stormy sea somewhere, name dropping as she goes. (laughs) We will see you bright and bushy for the new term. Yes, thank you all for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and Rate and review us too. And make sure you download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers because that's super helpful for us. And don't forget to join us on our private Facebook group, on Instagram, or email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.